I invite you to join me in the book of Psalms, the 130th Psalm. Thank you to everyone for being here today. All of our guests, we greet you. All of your online guests and members, we greet you and bless you in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Thank you for understanding as we adjust our schedule a little bit. Uh, believing that this Wednesday we should be able to resume all of our children's and youth classes, and of course next Sunday as well. And we thank you again for understanding that with us and working together. Amen? Psalm 130, it's a song of degrees. Verse 1, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to preach on this for just a few minutes with the title called To Wait. Let us pray. Father, let the living word preach the written word and make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Open our understanding that we might comprehend your scripture, Lord. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we pray, ask, and expect all of this in the majestic, marvelous, and magnificent name of Jesus Christ. And would you shout amen? amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Called to wait. In verses 5 and 6, the, the psalmist says he's going to wait for the Lord. In fact, more than they that watch for the morning. Watchmen would observe, and when the morning would come, they would declare the time. They didn't have alarm clocks, but the watchmen would watch for it and wait for it and declare it. We know morning comes. We know the horizon will change, even if it's a dark day, even if it's a, a rainy day, a snowy day. The horizon will change, and the sun will rise. We know that because science works, and God set it in motion to do so. And what he's saying here is more than their expectation of waiting, knowing that it's going to rise again, I know God's going to come through for me. Hallelujah. But I find it hard to imagine what it must have meant and felt like to wait for the Messiah to come. I hope I never take for granted the opportunity afforded me as a spirit-filled believer on this side of Calvary, and yet, I too am waiting for the Messiah, the second coming of the Messiah. For the psalmist who wrote these words and the Jews who sang them, the Messiah was still yet to come the first time. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 130 is assured that God forgives all iniquity, not some, not most, not 99.9% .9 like Lysol, but all, all iniquity, saving, delivering, and healing his people. 
And so the psalmist exhorts Israel to wait for the Lord and to hope in His Word, for they knew, according to Numbers 23, 19, it is impossible for God to lie. While this was a song of ascent, and it was to be sung every time the Jews would go to Jerusalem for the feasts of the Lord, Psalm 130 is also a messianic psalm prophesying the coming Messiah. It's not just prophetic of Babylonian or Assyrian deliverance from that bondage. It does point to those events, but it also points beyond those historical events to the greatest moment in the history when God would become our sin so that we could become His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, most things... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Making sure you're following along. Behold, all things are become new, praise God. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. This is what the psalmist was, was saying, and this is what Paul is referring back to, that he doesn't count our sins against us, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Amen. Listen, I'm going to pause right there. we got one more verse, but, but let me tell you, if, if you're born again, you're no longer what you used to be. Oh, come on. We've got some has-beens in the building today. We've got some used-to-be's watching online today. Amen. But you're no longer that. You're now an ambassador. Verse 21, for he hath made him, who's him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I could not atone for my sin. You cannot atone for your sin. But Jesus became us so that we could become like him. This is why Hebrews 7.26 plainly states that such an high priest became us. That such a high priest is God himself. Therefore, Psalm 130 is a messianic psalm pointing to the one day, as Zechariah prophesied, when God would redeem the world from all iniquity. Can we just pause for a praise break and just thank the Lord right now? Time out for a shout. Is anybody thankful from where God brought you from? Is anybody online ready to put some thumbs up and hands up emojis and stand up in your living room and say, thank you for saving my soul. Not all, not some, but all our iniquities have been cleansed. In the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Now, called to wait sometimes. Waiting involves time. Such as those who would sing this song of ascent and the psalmist who wrote it. None of them witnessed the Messiah because it was still 500 years away. They didn't live that long. I want you to catch this. Are you ready? They hoped for what they would never see. This is why the writer of Hebrews said it this way. Verses 39 and 40 of chapter 11. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They searched for it. They sought for it. They wanted it. They looked for it. They died believing for it and hoping for it, but they never saw it. Now, although he's not listed in the hall of faith, there was at least one, actually two people that I can think of, other than, of course, the disciples and others that followed him, but Simeon and Anna. And Simeon said that the Lord had appeared to him and and revealed unto him that he would not die till he had seen the Christ, the consolation of Israel. And he's the one to, if you will, dedicate Jesus on the eighth day, the, the day of circumcision for the Jewish boys. Anna, another one who's devoted her life to living for the Lord and being in the temple, sees him and is able to bless the family. But these writers and singers of Psalm 130 wouldn't have saw it. And like the, the heroes of faith, they receive not the promise. Sometimes waiting involves time. And we live in a fast-paced generation. We want God like we want our, you know, instant gratification. You know, Instagram is a good number, or a good name, excuse me, Insta. It's instantly, it's bam. You take a picture, it's there. Anybody remember the days when you had to take a picture, go get it developed? And then when you get them back two weeks later, you're like, oh, wow, that's where we were. Oh, okay. Now it's instant, you know, bam, boom, we're there, you know. We instantly posted on social media. I was in Israel, y'all, in 2018, and I was live streaming, and some of you were watching it, you know, however many thousand miles away, seven time zones away. You know, we live in a crazy world where we can instantly have stuff now. We used to have to wait for, you know, the news to be delivered, you know, because it took the Pony Express a long time to to get, you know, from, from the east to the west. Now it's like, bam, but as it's happening, we're watching it. Sometimes waiting on God involves time. Can I remind you that while time is not godless, God is timeless? You see, that's the other part of what waiting involves. It involves serving in the time that you're waiting for the miracle, the promise, the whatever Don't just wait by looking at your watch. Serve. (laughs) This is in part why Isaiah prophesied, but they that wait upon the Lord. The word wait there means to serve. They that serve the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what does it mean? 
to be called to wait. It means praying earnestly and honestly. It means realizing the eternal weight of sin. It's hoping in God's word and it is receiving God's abundant mercy. And each one of these that I've just used are verbs. Praying, realizing, hoping, and receiving. And I've used the suffix ing to indicate the ongoing action of each one of these. It's not just doing them once. It's continuing to do them. Too many people stop at Matthew 7, 7 and ask once and seek once and knock once. But the next verse says to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If God hasn't answered yet, keep hoping and praying and believing. I told somebody the other day, we were standing out in the lobby and, and talking about a, a prayer request in, in her family. And I said, God hasn't done it yet. And therein is faith. Yet, it's a word of faith. It says he hasn't done it. You're not just stopping and putting the period there. You're saying he hasn't done it, comma, yet. I'm believing he still will. I haven't seen it yet, but I believe I will. It hasn't happened yet, but I believe it will. I'm going to serve in the waiting. Mm -hmm. It's like the one meme that says if God hasn't opened the door praise him in the hallway until he does. Amen. I'm not just going to stand there, look at my clock and look at the door and stare and grumble and complain. I'm going to do something while I'm waiting. I'm going to keep serving while I'm waiting. Hallelujah. Never give up. In Psalm 30, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist prays earnestly and honestly. He says, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Let me just say here, God already knows where we are, what we've done, and what we need, even before we ask and you can't hide anything from God. You might be able to hide it from your, your spouse, your friend, your coworker, your boss, your neighbor, anybody in this church. You might even be able to hide it from me, but you won't hide it from God. So just be honest with Him anyway. Just be honest. The depths that the psalmist cries out from indicate it's a time of distress. It's very possible and probable the psalmist is still in uh, captivity. And as each new day dawns, the psalmist hopes that this will be the day they're delivered. The psalmist hopes that this will be the end of their captivity. And when night comes and it hasn't happened, despair takes hold of him again. And as he prays his bedtime prayers and gets ready to go to sleep, he realizes it didn't happen today. And he's in one of those moments of, of despair and distress. And he begins to pray earnestly and honestly to God, crying out to him. Can I tell you that there is something beautifully, spiritually therapeutic about honest and earnest prayer? Can I just tell somebody and you understand and believe what I'm saying to you? That God's not looking for the pretty. He's not looking to know that you know how many compound names of God. He, he's not worried that you're going to get them right and alphabetized perfectly. I heard one time this man was starting to pray and he was like, Oh, great and holy Father of the universe and King of all this and stuff. And, and somebody standing up to him said, Man, just pray from your heart. 
I wonder sometimes if we don't pray like that to try to impress God. Lord, I know that you've got 953 characteristics and names. I'm going to go down through all of them. You know, you know what? I've studied them all out. I love them, and I'm, I'm still studying. I'm still finding some more. But guess what? When I say Jesus, I get all 953. So you know what I've learned to do? I've just learned to say, Jesus! And if I need El Shaddai, I get El Shaddai. And if, if I need the hope of Israel, I get the hope of Israel. And if I need the Prince of Peace, I get the Prince of Peace. I'm just going to cry out earnestly and honestly, There's something therapeutic about it. There's something beautiful about it. And I believe, this is just Myron's opinion, that God's ears are tuned to such prayers, maybe and possibly more than other types of prayers. And by the way, it's worth mentioning in Psalm 30 that there's never an answer from God. Oh, we're about to see a shift take place in Psalm 130. But, but, but other than the, the shift that takes place, there's not a specific verse that says, and the Lord answered me and said thus and so. <laughs> but despite the silence from God, or the apparent silence, I might say, the psalmist does not go deeper into those depths, but instead, by the time he ends Psalm 130, he has experienced a shift, not a season, mm and is filled with hope in Almighty God and His inerrant Word. Let me say this, and I want you to catch it. Do not read into the silence of God the absence of God. Just because God doesn't answer in your timing doesn't mean He doesn't hear you or care about your need. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God cannot lie cannot fail, and cannot deny himself. His mercies are new every morning. And if God is silent, there is a reason he's silent, and you will learn it when he answers you. I know of a man who began to pray and prayed three times a day and committed himself to praying. And the first day, nothing happened. And the second day, nothing happened. And the third day, nothing happened. And the first week came and went and nothing happened. And the second week came and went and nothing happened. And another week came. And at the end of that week, the angel came to him and said, Hey, I just want you to know your prayer came up to the Lord. He heard you on the first day. The prince of Persia opposed me. But I'm now here to tell you what God's telling. Can I tell somebody? Don't give up if you're praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop hoping. I don't care if it's 21 days or 21 years. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep hoping. Because God's already heard and already dispatched an angel. I heard one preacher preach. He said, and I may mix it up a little bit, but basically it was something to the effect of if God comes in at the train station, don't be at the shipyard. Right? In other words, be there waiting where God said to wait. You know, there was a time when Jesus told his disciples to go on to the other side. He said, I'll meet you there. As God, he knew a storm was coming. And when he walks on the water, he says, be not afraid, it is I. That phrase literally in the Greek is ego am I. It, literally, he was saying, be not afraid, I am. It was another one of the I am statements of the book of John. Can I say this, and you hear it plainly. 
When God says, I am, that should be enough. Oh, they were still afraid. And it wasn't until he got in the boat that the storm stopped that then they weren't afraid no more. Can I tell you, when God says, I am, and he's walking on top of the waves that are bothering you, that should be enough to say, my I am is with me. I'm not going to be afraid. Hallelujah. The psalmist, as he begins to cry out unto the Lord, again, we don't hear or see God's answer. He doesn't record it. But I got a feeling something happened in the next two verses that started his shift. Verse 3, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. In his earnest and honest praying, the psalmist realized the eternal weight of sin. If God kept a record of our sins and punished us accordingly, no one would survive. But, the psalmist said, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Listen, a lot of people preach fear that fear the Lord and then you get forgiveness. But the psalmist just proved otherwise. His forgiveness leads me to want to fear him. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Don't preach it or teach it or believe it the other way around. Don't don't get people manipulated into fear and then hope that they get forgiven. Tell them about Jesus and let them get forgiven. And when they realize just how long their naughty list was, they ain't just getting cold for Christmas. They're going straight to a devil's hell. Oh, my God. They'll realize I'm going to fear him now. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Do you see it? Do you understand it? Hallelujah. And so the psalmist begins to realize, but wait a minute. He's on that side of Calvary. He's on that side of grace. I thought the Old Testament was all about, you know, mean and bad and God's this big ugly jerk that just beats up on people and and kills his enemies. Well, you had a misconception then, my friend, because God in the Old Testament was merciful. God was gracious. God gave mercy. It's the verse in Lamentations that says his mercies are new every morning. It's a verse in Micah that says he delights to do mercy. In fact, mercy and grace are mentioned five times more in the Old Testament than they are in the New Testament. And so this is why I say this psalm is prophetic. It's pointing to not just his forgiveness under the law, but one day Christ fulfilling the law and us finding forgiveness and atonement of sins. And so he realizes the weight of sin in comparison to eternity. And it's kind of like what Paul also realized in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction. Somebody say light affliction. Now, ready? You ready for this? Somebody say, what I'm going through is light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. I'm not minimizing or invalidating what you're going through. I'm not trying to be a jerk or crude or anything else. 
I, I'm sorry you're facing what you're facing, and, and I want to face it with you as much as I can and bear one another's burdens and weep with you as you weep and so on and so forth, but it's just light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, the answer, the victory, the hope, the miracle. I can see the problem. I can see the issue. I can see the sin. I can see all those things, but I'm looking beyond them to something I can't see yet. Oh, hallelujah. For the things which are seen are temporal. My problem has an expiration date. My sin has an expiration date. But my eternity is forever. I believe this is where the shift took place for the psalmist. Somewhere between verses 2 and 3, he had an encounter with God in prayer. And again, there's no explicit voice of God speaking, but I believe the presence of God enveloped him. Amen. When you go to God honestly and earnestly, get ready for a shift. Get ready for revelation. Amen. The psalmist reignited his fear of the Lord, realizing he was forgiven of sins. Amen. And you and I are on this side of Calvary knowing that God redeems and forgives from all iniquity. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The reason I know there's a shift in Psalm 130 is because it goes from out of the depths of despair to hoping in God's inerrant and infallible word. Read with me verses 5 through 8, or follow along rather. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. I wish he would have recorded what he felt from the presence of God. I wish he would have recorded if God said something to him, but he didn't. But something had to have happened for him to shift from saying depths of despair to I'm going to wait on Jesus. Ha ha. In his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. And like I said to you, the morning will come. You know, uh, uh, weeping endures for night, but you know, joy comes in the morning. That's a, that's a Psalm, Psalm 30. Amen. We, we know that the sun will rise again tomorrow morning. And, and, and we've got it pinpointed on our phones. It can tell us that, you know, 703, amen, the, the horizon will take place and whatever. Amen. The psalmist may not have that, but that's what the watchmen were for. And he's saying more than that. More than more than the accuracy of God's creation for the sun to rise more than them knowing it's going to happen and they're going to declare the horizon has broke across the, the sky I am waiting for God who also will come through and then he says not just me, let Israel, if I could say it this way, let the whole church join with me and hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all iniquities. Pastor Lucas, something happened to the psalmist. He started over here in the depths of despair. Oh, God, I cry unto you. Hear my prayer. And as he's in this moment of despair, something begins to move into his prayer closet and begin to envelop him. Lord, you've forgiven me of my sins. I remember what you did in 1987. I remember what you did in 96. I remember what you did in 2005. 
alive. I remember when I went under the water. Amen. He began to remember. And all of a sudden, he began to say, if God came through then, he can come through again. Hallelujah. Hope in God's word. I've got about 40 books I plan to read this year, Lord willing. I've already read four. I'm not trying to brag. Some of them were small. I'm not, again, I'm, I'm not, I promise, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying. Love to read. Okay. So I've got about 36 more to read if I meet my goal. And while many of those books have challenged me, encouraged me, inspired me, not one of them has transformed me. But every time I pick up this book, every time I open its pages, I, I lost count. And I, I'm, again, please, please know my heart. Bishop is not bragging. I've lost count how many times I've read the Bible through. I wish I knew exactly, but, but anyway, you know, I'd love to celebrate my 25th anniversary and read it through, but I, I don't know, you know. Twenty-some times I've read the Bible through. I don't know. But every time, Pastor Lucas, something new comes out. As I was reading my text this morning, God showed me something. God spoke to my spirit as I'm reading my text. I didn't have it in my notes. I'm like, man, that's good. i got to use that. i gotta, I got to add that in and go back afterwards and type it in. <laughs> every time this book has corrected me, rebuked me helped me, loved me, disciplined me, transformed me. And the psalmist says, I'm going to hope in the word of God. <laughs> can I tell you today that you can hope in this? It's true. It will come to pass. Hallelujah. I believe part of the shift for the psalmist was remembering all that God had done for him. And he says, with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The New Living says, God's redemption overflows. The complete Jewish Bible says, with God is unlimited redemption. The psalmist joins David and Zechariah in prophesying of the one day that God would forgive all iniquity. David said in Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Zechariah prophesied in chapter 3 of the branch, Jesus Christ, also calling him the stone. And in verse number 9, the last part of it, he said, And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Hallelujah. 
the prophet Amos saw this day and prophesied that it would happen exactly at noon, that darkness would come upon the earth. And when Luke recorded in his gospel of that great event called Calvary, verse 44 of chapter 23 of Luke, he said it was about the sixth hour, that's noon, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. In other words, three hours of utter darkness when the sun should be standing and the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Amen. And this is when Jesus cries out, it is finished. I'm come to tell you the day that David talked about and Zechariah talked about and Amos talked about, Luke recorded. And in that one day, every sin from Adam and Eve till then and every sin present then and every sin present since then was forgiven in one day. And the Bible says in Hebrews that he, Jesus Christ, is the one sacrifice for sins forever. And this is what the psalmist saw. Again, in my little Show whatever you want to call it. I did a while ago. Illustration. He's over here in despair, in depth, crying out to God. We're in bondage. Oh, God. And something begins to shift. And he remembers how God has forgiven him. And he remembers the mercies of God. And he looks back on his life and everything historically that's happened to that point from Adam and Eve on down. They knew oral tradition really well. And he begins to remember. But something shifts in him. Not just to the immediate Babylonian deliverance. Something shifts. And his prophetic eye begins to pick up on a cross on a hillside and he begins to see oh I feel the Holy Ghost right now the psalmist begins to realize I'm hoping and waiting for that day not just getting out of Babylon not just marching back to Jerusalem but that day that day when Jesus comes and with that he begins to say I'm going to wait on you Jesus It's then he begins to declare, I'm going to wait on the Lord. It's then he begins to sing it, to pray it, to believe it. Hallelujah. It's then. Can I tell somebody if you're waiting, keep waiting. Come on, praise team. Amen. If you're waiting, keep waiting. If you're hoping, keep hoping. If the prayer request hasn't happened yet, keep believing. If you've asked a hundred times, ask a hundred and one. Oh, come on. James Wilson, the writer of this song, he preached for us year or so ago so there was a part on this song that he recorded in in the overdubbing process there's a part where he leans back from the mic and you can hear him faintly speaking in tongues in the recording room he's filling the Holy Ghost they were going to dub it out and he says no leave it in leave it in a friend of his who he'd been witnessing to was listening to the song and when he heard him speak in tongues begin to pray and repent and God filled him with the Holy Ghost while he's listening to the song 
I don't know how long he had witnessed to that friend. I don't know if God told him, leave it in and don't overdub it. I don't know how it happened, Pastor Jeremy, but something quickened with him to say, I'm going to leave it in. Can I tell you, if you'll just ask one more time, if you'll just pray one more time, if you'll believe one more time, Jesus will come through.